All right, welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of The Academy Arguments. I'm Andrew Nuno. And I'm Brittany McHugh. And we are joined for this episode by our friend Cullen. Cullen, welcome to the Academy Arguments. Hi, Cullen. Hi. It's nice to be here. Yeah, of course. We are so happy to have you. Uh, before we dive in, can you just give our, our listeners a, a quick bio about yourself uh, for, for the reference? Yeah, for sure. Uh, my name is P. Cullen Ryan. I am a Chicago-based playwright, voice actor, and performer, and most recently a producer on a uh, D&D podcast with Corn Servitory. Awesome. Awesome. We are so, so <laughs> happy to have you. And no worries, we'll be sure to, to give you a chance to plug that podcast at the end. Uh, but before we do that, uh, it is time to, to dive into the world of uh, the 1996 film Fargo. This is... Uh, Oftentimes considered um, like the signature film by the Coen Brothers, um, with Francis McDormand, William H Macy, just a whole a whole slew of folks, and so uh, we are super super excited to discuss this film. Uh, but before we do, uh, let's first kind of talk about what were all of our impressions uh, before um, either watching this film for the first time or um, rewatching it. Well, I am from Minnesota. So uh, this movie was brought up a lot in my childhood. Um, and actually, like when I was a very young child, I thought it was a, a really like farcical comedy akin to like Airplane or um, any Monty Python movie uh, based on the fact that the only thing people quote from this movie is, oh, I see I got your friend stuck in the wood chipper there, um, which <laughs> is not a line in the movie. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. I'm like, it's what? Not. <laughs> it's, there's so many uh, moments that uh, people in Minnesota especially just love. And I I think I first watched this, in about, I was probably in about high school, and I haven't watched it since I was in college, but it's one of my favorite movies, especially being from Minnesota. I, I just have such a, such a soft spot for it. And it's so good as well. It's like one of the best movies I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Brittany, how about you? Uh, this was my first time watching this movie, though I recall, like, all of the buzz around it did make me look up the entire Wikipedia plot once, though I couldn't remember it before I going into this movie, <laughs> so I just wrote down what I thought it was about, so I put murder, police officer, car thieves, question mark, kidnapped <laughs> wife... <laughs> TV show. Gotcha. So th that's about, I think thing, as I watched it, things from me reading the plot started to come back. I'm like, oh, right. I do remember reading about this and this, but yeah, I have a shit memory, so. Gotcha, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, for, for, for me, honestly, like, I knew that this film was critically acclaimed. I knew that, you know, Frances McDormand had gotten a lot of praise for her performance and that this is kind of like the Coen Brothers signature movie, but outside of that, I really didn't know much else. I know that it, it had inspired the the TV series that that's now out, um, but I went into this film pretty blind, which honestly made the viewing experience so much better. Like just knowing that it was a critically acclaimed movie, there were some really good performances in it, and just really not knowing too much about the plot, I think was kind of like the perfect the perfect setup going into this film because. Oh man, as, as we'll discuss, this this film's a, a ride. So mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah, I had a really really good vibes going into seeing this film. Okay, so I'm gonna jump into what this movie won and was nominated for. This was the 69th Academy Awards. 69, haha. -ha, I'm 12. 
<laughs> How did I know? I was like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. And then I was like, yep, there it is. <laughs> uh, it was nominated in seven different categories, ended up winning two of them. And the winners were Frances McDormand for Best Actress and Ethan and Joel Cohen for Best Original Screenplay. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture, Lost to the English Patient. William H. Macy was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, which I have questions about that nomination, but he lost to Cuba Gooding Jr. in Jerry Maguire. Uh, Joel Cohen was nominated for Best Director, lost to Anthony Minghella in for The English Patient. Roger Deakins was nominated for Best Cinematography, lost to John Seal for The English Patient. Roderick Janes was nominated for Best Film Editing, lost to Walter Murch for The English Patient. And Roderick James is a fascinating fascinating <laughs> figure because well for one he only works with the coen brothers he has like an exclusive thing with them has not appeared on a single film not even smaller films and that's because he doesn't actually exist <laughs> yeah roderick james is a pseudonym that the coen brothers came up with for two reasons one was because they felt and this is their side of the story they felt that their name was coming up too much in the credit sequences because they're like writer, director, producers, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And that's such a Minnesotan thing to do. <laughs> like, oh my God. But the other reason, which I think is probably a little more legitimate, is because there's problems with guild membership. So I just thought that was incredibly funny that they just have this <laughs> pretend person editing all of their films i i heard that they kind of freaked out when he got nominated because they were like um and also they don't let you accept they don't let like people accept by proxy that mm -hmm. much anymore ever since yeah. marlon brando's stunt there was um i think there was a there was like the plan was to have somebody dress up uh, as oh, Roderick James, um, to accept the award if if it came to that. Oh my god! What kind of character they would be for Roderick James? That is hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, Fargo. I would like to put a disclaimer. Um, I've never seen this movie before. I actually quite enjoyed it. I haven't seen a lot of Coen Brothers movies, but I I did really enjoy this. However, it's not my job to be nice, guys. It's my job to criticize and be mean. So I would like to put this disclaimer at the beginning in case, you know, the Coen brothers ever wanted to hire me, which I would love, by the way. I think you guys are brilliant. I love this movie. Please don't take anything I'm about to say too seriously. I'll deny it all if you hire me for one of your movies. <laughs> so, so all these criticisms are conditional, is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. uh, conditional on that specific condition. On yes. that specific condition. Okay. But okay, on the condition of I want to crush Andrew. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I'm actually really curious to see your criticisms because Great. let's start at the like, beginning. Of I this freaking movie. loved this. <laughs> right movie. at the beginning of this movie, we have that fun little title sequence that says this movie is based on true events. The names have been changed to protect the identities of people, but other than that, everything is true. That is a lie. That is straight <laughs> up. Fucking lie. Even the Coen brothers have admitted that that is a lie. They have yeah. changed their stories so many times. They said, oh, it was about this specific incident where a guy hired someone to murder his wife. No, it was about this specific incident where um, a guy killed his wife or something. No, it was inspired by a crime, but we actually made the whole story up. And apparently the reason why they say it's uh, based on 
a true story at the beginning is because apparently audiences are more likely to buy into what's happening, which hmm. seems odd to me because none of this stuff that was happening was incredibly far-fetched. Maybe yeah. I just watch a lot of crime dramas. I mean, a guy hires someone to kidnap his wife. The guy's a moron, but a lot of people are morons in this world. Two guys <laughs> screw it up badly. Again, That's an morons. understatement. Morons. <laughs> that is a not... very generous understatement. <laughs> <laughs> not unbelievable. They end up killing the wife and each other. Again, morons. Not unbelievable. Guy <laughs> shoves another guy in a wood chipper. I mean, I am pretty sure that has happened in real life. Mm. Yeah. It's, I, it's just, it's weird to me that they would open an entire movie with that, but then at the very end of the credits have that disclaimer that everything is fictitious. And I'm like, what? I don't get the point here. I don't get this. Why are you doing... It's not so far-fetched that we wouldn't buy into it. And even if we weren't going to buy into it, it's a fictional movie. Like, who, who the fuck cares? You've made weirder movies. <laughs> this is true. This is very... Especially for the Coen brothers. They have definitely made weirder movies. I don't know. But right at the beginning, I'm like, that... I don't get why you're starting it off. By lying. <laughs> That's totally fair. That's totally fair. What 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 what's what's the next the next critique that you that you have lined up here? Okay, um, guy is a moron. That is my next critique. William H Macy, <laughs> I mean... who who? Okay, this is weird. Why was he nominated for best supporting actor? He's the lead of this. This no, uh, uh, Francis McDormand is um, right, but he's and the, I... he's what I would consider the male equivalent lead. Because you know how they always have lead actor, lead actress? I think uh, I I can talk a little bit about this. Um, I don't know if... Uh, I think maybe Steve Buscemi uh, might have qualified for more of lead actor. Although I'm not, entirely, I'm not entirely sure about that. I feel like there's not really a lead actor per se in this movie. Because I feel like William H. Macy is so much more of a catalyst character in this. In that like he sets up all the events... For Francis McDormand to really come through. I feel like they submitted him as a supporting actor for Francis McDormand, though. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did it as well to give them a better chance at uh, uh, at the Oscars. Because a very similar mm -hmm. thing happened with the Danish girl, where uh, Alicia Vikander, um, she, even though she is she had enough screen time to be considered a lead actress, she was submitted for the Best Supporting Actress category in order to give her a better shot at an Oscar. And it ended up working. She won. But, uh, but mean, yeah. That's another reason why I don't like the Oscars. They have all these willy-nilly mm -hmm. rules that no one can really pin down. That's not yeah. a legit award ceremony, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, like, so, sometimes films do this, try to, like, work the Academy Awards in their favor. They kind of, like... Yeah. No, of course they do. Because the whole thing... You can bribe people for the Academy Awards. I've gone over this. They're all, not legitimate awards. All, all award shows, you can bribe people for that. No, That's but like, you can legally do it in this. Oh, world. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, all same, award shows, same thing all with the Golden Globes. Award shows. Yes, I know. It's why it makes no sense. It's the, yeah. I don't understand. Ugh. Oscars be uh, as Oscars do, you know? <laughs> out of curiosity, do you know who was, who was like, nominated for best supporting of uh, for best lead actor because it might just be that william h macy is just 
like people think of him more as a supporting actor type. I honestly, like when I saw him, I wrote down the dude from Shameless. <laughs> oh my God. Great show though. I, I love that show. Yeah, good show. Uh, Joffrey Rush, Tom Cruise, Ralph Fiennes, Woody Harrelson, and Billy Bob Thornton were nominated for Best Actor that year. Yeah, I feel like he did stand a better chance in the supporting actor. Yeah. Well, he didn't win that either. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, not not every plan works. This is actually his only nomination. Still mm. this day, that's the only that, that's ever got. that's a shame. He's really he's a really terrific. He's actor. yeah, very underappreciated. I I think he he needs more credit than he gets. Mm-hmm. I think it was really Wild Hogs that done him in. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I forgot that, that film existed for a Where second. Where was his Oscar nomination for Wild Hogs? Oh that's what my I want. <laughs> I I remember my favorite line from that movie that he has is, "And I've got a girlfriend." Punch that out of me, bitches! And then he just hit, <laughs> hit in the face. I think by Ray Liotta too. Like what? what oh kind of, god! What kind of movie was that? It was Tim Allen, William H Macy, Martin Lawrence, John Travolta. Like, <laughs> I, I have what no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> it's it's a movie where Tim Allen decides he wants to be a, a in a biker gang, and John Travolta <laughs> just agrees with him. Um, so that's. Oh. That's uh, pretty much the whole movie that you need wow. to know about. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 good if you turn your brain off <laughs> and just go with it. If you're looking for any sort of even like mundane quality, you will be gravely disappointed. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it'll kill well, two hours. Is what. <laughs> yeah, it's like good to have probably it's probably like an hour twenty. I'm gonna transition us away from this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's 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 bring it back. I'm gonna Far- take a wild here and say that movie did not win an Academy Award. I feel like we have to Google that though. <laughs> I think. It, hold on, hold on, because I think it, it might have been nominated for some Razzies. It. Yeah, well, it probably was. Andrew, that's not the same thing. Oh, I know. The fact that you think those are the same things makes me the winner of this entire podcast. Oh no, I, 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 I'm not saying that they're the same thing. I'm just saying that it probably did get nominated for. Oh wait, no, it All didn't. Right. It didn't get nominated for a Razzies. Really? How the hell did it escape that embarrassment? Wow. Okay, I really that's... just feel like it just flew ever under everybody's radar. This what happened. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna just... get into my to... other problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, problem number three. For a movie that is called Fargo, we do not spend any time in Fargo. (laughs) Not even in the same state. It's in Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. I've been to Fargo, North Dakota. They did not film there. Yeah. I mean, I, I won't, that? I won't, I won't fight you on on that critique. Yeah, that that is a, that's a little bit misleading, but mm-hmm. okay. Complaint number four: When did they go to kidnap her? Which is a time, and I actually that's when I fully started understanding the humor of this film. So mm-hmm. I will give you that because that scene where the guy is in the ski mask just <laughs> looking in, and the lady's just sitting there <laughs> staring at him, and I'm like. <laughs> What the fuck are you doing, woman? Get your phone. Get out of there. But whatever. First of all, the guy's leaving his fingerprints everywhere. Like, messes up her entire medicine. Touches everything in her bathroom. Just everything. You're a... Aren't you, like, a professional killer or kidnapper? What? Why aren't you wearing gloves? 
I don't get that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, problem number five. I'm just going to barrel through these real fast. <laughs> when uh, Marge gets to the crime scene, they are being really nonchalant about a triple homicide, by the way. They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, triple homicide. How'd you, what'd you do for breakfast tonight? Hey, Marge, well, got you well, a coffee. Oh, thank you, oh, dear. Oh, like. thank you. So, someone got blown through the head and hand? Oh, dear, look at that. <laughs> Very nonchalant about that. Um, also, they just leave. There are bodies everywhere. And they just get in the car and leave. <laughs> There's no one else there. It's just them. I mean, to, to Marge's credit, she even says, where the heck is everybody? It doesn't matter. No one's there. <laughs> you can't leave the crime scene. They're not on police tape anywhere. This wasn't like an ancient, antiquated time. This was apparently set in the 80s. There was police tape at the very least. What is that? <laughs> I mean, the bodies aren't going anywhere. <laughs> right, but someone can come, Andrew, and contaminate the entire crime scene. Maybe someone passes along. Oh, dear, a car is flipped over. I must get out of my car and help them. Excuse me, miss. I'm going to pull you out now and get my DNA all over this crime scene, compromising the integrity of the crime scene. Oh, dear, it seems her there's a hole in her head. She's already dead. Hopefully people in that part of Minnesota had better things to do with their lives than go contaminate a crime scene. People in Minnesota are very nice, as this movie would have us. Yeah, if anything, if anything, they would have they would have gone out to the crime scene with like some warm blankets, and even if the bodies were dead, they still would have just like put them over there. Just been contaminating like, the crime scene, Andrew, preserving it. They're more like preserving no, preserved. it. Preserved. They're already preserved. They're well, I guess. The, I guess. Yeah, I guess the cold's kind of doing that for them. You know. Mm. Now that I think about it. Um. What else? The whole Mike thing. You know the Mike dude. Mike Yamagita. Right. Why was he in this movie? <laughs> okay. So actually, actually. I know I... what you're gonna argue, and I have a counter argument. So I'm gonna okay, let you get hold it on, out. Hold on, hold on. So what, do think, what, what do you think? I'm, what do you think I'm gonna argue? I, I want to hear it now. You're going to argue. Oh, okay. You are going to argue that the Coen brothers put that in because at the moment when she realizes that Mike is a fucking dirty liar, that causes her to rethink the whole thing and go back and question William H Macy's character. It also was put in there because the Coen brothers thought it humanized her and gave her more to do than just be the police officer. However, my arguments for both of those are that one. We don't need him to realize that William H. Macy is a liar because you can tell William H. Macy is a liar from the moment you meet him. She is doing bad police work by not asking him the questions she does in the second interview in the first interview. The second thing is that it humanizes her and gives her more like, oh, no, I'm faithful to my marriage. I don't know why being faithful in a marriage is so surprising in movies, but apparently it is. We already see her with her loving husband, Norm, several times. Her husband, Norm, fixes her eggs in the morning. Her husband, Norm, and her go to a buffet, which I'm not going to lie, I kind of miss in this time. It's weird of me, but I do. Um, You're not alone. Her and her husband, Norm, have that lovely moment at the end. We already know all that stuff. We don't need this whole other weird-ass character who is apparently psych a psychological liar. Yeah. That scene made me feel all types of uncomfortable. Like, I just, just, but were those your arguments, Andrew? I mean, they they were the the arguments that I have. But I think honestly, like they're they're still worth. Amazing. But I, I okay, hold on. yeah, yeah, Colin, Colin, what what are your thoughts? 
I we actually I so I did I took a film class in high school and we had to watch this and there was a whole thing where we watched this scene and we stopped and my teacher said why the hell is this scene in the movie <laughs> there are so many there are people who have written essays about the Mike Yamagita scene uh, with no real answer <laughs> like my my whole idea of this movie is that it is the most nihilistic thing in the world. <laughs> Is that there are what things the that just happen, and it's like, like, oh, this guy pulled over these two guys, and he gets shot in the face. That just happens. <laughs> like, it's that things kind of just compound on themselves, and the like, the money's never found. That kind of thing. That Mike Yamagita is just the most bizarre part of this movie because he just kind of comes in like a hurricane. Yeah, and then like, and, and, is and not to gone. disparage the performance of Steve Park, who I actually think plays like a creep very, mm-hmm. very well. Like, props to him. But his character makes no sense. At least the state <laughs> trooper makes sense towards the plot. They have to kill the state trooper so that it starts off the whole investigation. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But this Mike guy, we have like three scenes devoted to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and, and the thing is, like, I, I mean, uh, to to your point, Colin, I I feel like this is almost kind of like a trademark of the Cohen brothers, where like they have these scenes just kind of like thrown into their films, mm. where it's just like, okay, <laughs> like, like you know, this scene just kind of comes out of nowhere, but it's oftentimes like those just like random ass scenes that end up stirring the most conversation afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I wonder if like they purposefully do that. You just think they're kind trolling of... their audience? I 100% think they are trolling I 100% their audience. think they're trolling uh, their audience. I, I have several examples that for that trolling thing. argument. I don't like trolls. I'm going to mark that <laughs> as a bad thing. Yeah, but like, I just, like, looking back now at all the Coen Brothers films that I've seen, like, pretty much all of them have a scene like this where it just, mm-hmm. just kind of comes out of nowhere. Here's kind of like, oh, Okay, but it ends up becoming like one of the most talked about scenes mm-hmm. of every film that you see from them. It's just this scene that just completely throws you for a spin. And I think that's, you know, this film might have been the beginning of, of that trademark for them. Oh, yeah. okay. Hold on. I got two more really big ones that I'd like <laughs> okay. to bring up. All right, yeah. Okay, the character Shep. All of his lines were ADR, right? Because what if you watch the movie, his lines don't line up with his mouth moving. Especially the scene where he's, like, beating up uh, Steve Buscemi's character. He's not saying those. Mm. It's just, like, he's learned ventriloquism and sound is coming out, even though his mouth is not moving. I, uh, ADR, as soon as you figure out, like, how it works and what it is, movies are just ruined. Because, like, every movie, (laughs) you can see it. You're just like, oh, they're not even saying I've done ADR in movies. I've, I've, like, fully... It's not convinced. It's, it's not convincing. I was, I was, I did ADR for a guy who was wearing a mask the whole time, and still, I was like, I'm not in that room. It doesn't sound like I'm in that room. What the hell is happening? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very possible that, like, when they were shooting on location with his lines or something, maybe something got like fucked up, and it just they tried ADRing it, and it just did not mm-hmm. work. I mean, like, I just like to point it out because it's my job to be to point these things out. Okay, mm-hmm. another thing. When he buries the money and he puts a tiny stick in the snow to mark where it is, does this guy not know how the Midwest looks? (laughs) Everything looks the same. 
You think a tiny stick is going to help you find it? You think you are going to drive along a highway that's about 10 feet away from where you buried it, scanning the whole Midwestern area, looking for a tiny stick sticking up out of the snow. What if it snows again? It's Minnesota in winter. What kind I of mean, fucking dumbass I, idea is this? I, need, I, I may need to remind you, Brittany, that essentially all the characters in this film are dumbasses. I honestly, I love that scene because it just makes the money so, so not matter anymore. Um, especially because like, oh, now he's dead. So that money's just there. And then I, it shows up again in the TV show. Um, at one Who point. does it? It really, it does. The, somebody else finds it because they find that little red thing and they're like, well, what the hell is this? And they start digging and they find a briefcase full it? of money. What do you mean they find it? It was a stick. They found the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bright red stick. It, like, it, it kind of sticks out against the white backdrop. I'm going to. That is fascinating. Yeah. It's, what? Um, and I actually did not put it together about? until this last rewatch. I was like, wait a minute. That's in the show. <laughs> so I was like. I love that. I, I would recommend watching the at least the first season of the show. I've only seen the first season. Yeah. Those were my biggest problems. I mean, all of these characters are just... I don't understand the choices they make. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Like, they're not... Why doesn't Marge, who seems like a really competent police officer from the very beginning when she analyzes the scene and she's like, okay, I can see this, this, and this happen. I'm like, great, competent police officer. Love them. Um, and then she meets with uh, William, Mac- J- William Macy's character, and she doesn't ask him any questions. And I'm like, lady, you're a police officer. How are you not question? This man is clearly lying. This man is mm-hmm. not a good liar. Mm-hmm. He is very hostile towards you. How are you not questioning him? I don't. Why does it take <laughs> Mike to make you question him? Mike is nothing. We don't need Mike. We could have skipped uh, Mike entirely. I think because there there was the scene where she uh, she found out that they had they had like made two phone calls that that night. Yeah, but that was um, before she questioned him. Uh, that was before she questioned uh, Shep because uh, she, immediately she went to go talk to Shep, and I think right, um, but she questioned Shep, and then she questioned. Mm-hmm. I just I'm what I'm is this guy's name? Jerry Lundergaard. Oh, William Macy's right, character. Right, Jerry. All right, let, let's take a second here to talk about <laughs> Francis McDormand's performance. I I disagree with your read of this, Andrew. Okay. All because right. Because we were talking beforehand, guys, and Andrew was like, "Oh, what a powerhouse!" And I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little complimentary here, people. Which <laughs> Andrew was basically shit talking earthquake all last recording, so I feel mm-hmm. like I can do this because he I was not shit talking earthquake. You 100% <laughs> were. Not, not the you whole were time. You were leaning into the hate, and you weren't doing your job, so I can slack off too. I mean, I wasn't gonna I, I wasn't going to disregard them not like knowing how to react in an earthquake, even though they lived in Los Angeles their whole lives, you know. But to your point, you do have the floor to be a little bit congratulatory here. So, um, Yeah, so Andrew is going to argue that she gave a powerhouse performance. I don't think she did, but I think it's more effective that she didn't. I think her performance was really masterful because it was so simple and kind of just like, this is who she is. There's not really an extra oomph added to it, but I think that's so effective. And I think that was a choice from her 
to be kind of a more, to make a lot more subtler choices, a lot smaller choices, not really go for like a big performance, which I appreciated. So I don't actually think it's a powerhouse performance. That being said, I do think it was, would have a better performance because she chose not to make it one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to, to that point, I like, I think a lot of people have this idea that like a powerhouse performance has to be, it has to carry a lot of gravitas. It has to be this like grandiose thing. And like, I don't always think that a film or that a performance has to be that to be considered a powerhouse performance. I think that if, if, if a performance carries a film forward in such a way where it not only like complements what the film is, what the plot is, how the 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 way that the the story's being told, like I think to me like that that's my definition of of a powerhouse performance where it's it just it fits the world of the film so well that it it feels just a hundred percent natural and and not forced and you just completely buy into it with the world that that's there. She's not even introduced until like what, like thirty-ish minutes in, into mm-hmm. the film or something. But like, like especially when when she gets introduced and just like the way that she plays her character, like I'm just completely sold. Yeah. What What are your thoughts, Cullen? Frances McDormand plays a woman who I would not be like I would not be surprised if this person was like completely real. Um, yeah, uh, I'm in agreement uh, with Brittany that there's a there was a lot of like subdued elements to this. Um, I felt like uh, Marge had always come from like she'd always come from another thing. Like she's here to do her job, mm-hmm. um, and like her job is only part of her life. Like I love the I love the bits with Norm. That those are the su- this the sweetest part of the movie. Gonna, I wish I'm like gonna I gonna fix you some eggs. By the the end of that two-minute scene of them just saying, go back to sleep. No, I'm going to fix you some age. I just wrote down really large, Marge, for God's sakes, he's going to fix you some age. Or or even at the the end of that that part of the sequence of the movie when she walks back in, she's like, Kara needs to start. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think you're like... Like, it's such a Midwesterner thing, though, isn't it? Like, oh, I'm going to do this for you. Oh, no, you don't have to. No, no, I am. No, you don't have to. When in reality, you want them to, but you Mm. have to refuse a couple times first. Oh, yeah. Because that's Mm. the Midwestern polite thing we all do. It's the silent rules of kindness in the Midwest, you know? Oh, yeah. I don't, it, it makes no, I 100% abide by them, but it makes no sense that we do that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same thing, like, uh, whenever you're you're, like, in a train or something or a crowded place, you're just like, oop, I'm just going to scooch right past you there. Yeah, going to scooch right past you there? <laughs> well, let me just squeeze right past you. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Oh, the number sorry. of times... Oh, no, you're okay. You've got to go I... like, as flat as possible. <laughs> <laughs> the number of times that I've caught myself saying the word ope has just been like too many <laughs> times to count at this oh, point. It, it gets stronger if you're not in the Midwest. I think that's because like, I lived in Seattle for a couple years and I, I got out there there's so many things that I say as a Minnesotan, and that I did not realize them until I left Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I, I am curious to know though, like, what was everyone's favorite scene in this film? Oh God, there is there are a lot of great scenes. I think um, I think what I will go with though is when Marge uh, gets to the crime scene the first time mm. because there are so many Minnesotaisms. In that scene, um, there's just like, oh, I brought you some coffee. Uh, oh, gee, sure is appreciated. 
I'm uh, laughing so hard when she's just like, she's right there and is like, oh, no, I got some morning sickness. And she's like looking at a dead body. I'm like, is she going to throw up on the on the crime scene? I was like, uh, oh, my God, that's hilarious. I think that like, and especially like, oh, from the look of his footprints, he's a big feller. And I was like, yeah, that's that's Minnesota is what it is. I think this movie is so Minnesotan. It's great. Oh, man. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I I'd have to say that probably my favorite scene um, is when they're pulled over, and that guy ends up shooting the cop. Mm-hmm. Like that was one of two times in in, in this film, because it goes it, it it just comes out of nowhere and it grabs you and you're just like, what? Because like up until up until that point. I mean, I didn't think that he was going to, like, literally grab him by his hair, pull a gun out of the glove, and fucking shoot him. Like... I think that uh, that is the the first biggest moment uh, as to why, as to this character being the most chaotic force in this movie. Oh, um, absolutely. That you're just like, all right. Um, like, at first when he just wants pancakes. And that's, like, literally all we've known about him at that point is that he wants pancakes. I'm not sure if there's a if there's a place called Pancake House in Minnesota. I know there's a place called Panacookin. Wait, um, what? What's it called? Panacookin. I don't know if it's still open, but it was like it's like stuffed pancakes, and they all everybody comes out and they yell Panacookin, and that's like the big thing of the restaurant. Uh, Wait, I'm <laughs> anytime still, you order one, I'm still processing the word stuffed pancakes. Stuffed pancakes. That yeah. sounds beautiful. Um, so they're stuffed with like different fruits. I think they're. I think you can get savory ones too. <laughs> oh man, I need to have me Minnesota some Mall of America and Panacookin. That's that's our two claims. <laughs> uh, if if I may bring us back to the movie, though, I don't know what exactly we were talking about at in the moment, but uh, I would love to address that this is a true story because uh, you said this is based on true events, and they did not say that. They said this is a true story, which is so so great, um, especially because. It's it it is a lie, and there's no there's nobody like checking to make sure that on that. Like you can just say that in your movie, and as soon as they found out, they did it. And I think that's that's one of my my things is that they were trolling, and like kind of that there are things in this movie that are uh, kind of pointless. And I think that that's uh, an important thing. But like the the fact that it says this is a true story allows them to frame it in a very different way than like an actual like a than a story like. If this movie were not framed as a true story, uh, Marge would not have been uh, would have to have been in the first thirty minutes uh, mm-hmm. before before she gets dragged into the situation. There would have had to been some scene of her being like, "Oh, I'm just a cop, and this is my husband, and I'm going to be part of things soon." Mm-hmm. That sure like I you can. Re- I actually, uh, I think it was in the it was in the TV show where they they specifically said because uh, they do that too in the TV show. Um, because they introduce a major character at like the end of episode two with the true story. You can kind of just have people pop in like in social network. Justin Timberlake just sort of pops the fuck up. And like, I have he... thoughts on that movie. <laughs> I saw you guys did an episode. I want to listen to that one. Um... Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I just, I just have uh, a problem with it as a whole, but I don't want to yeah. get into it now. <laughs> no, I won't. Uh, but yeah, the the framing it as a true story, or even like a true a true crime movie, which were pretty popular around then, um, and I think this is sort of a Coen Brothers answer to that. 
is that you do have a lot more freedom in, t- in the terms of uh, like how you display characters and events, like the, how there's just a couple that like drives by um, and we don't have to like find out anything about this couple to have some sort of danger sense for them. I think it depends on the story you want to tell. I think we could have easily not had the disclaimer at the beginning and still been told the same because it's it is a work of fiction. Mm-hmm. It is like they did tell a complete work of fiction regardless. Like they mm-hmm. claim it's a true story, but it's not. And I don't mm-hmm. think, I, I don't know. I I think the fact that I knew it wasn't a true story right at the beginning kind of mm-hmm. kept me where I'm like, okay, no, it's not. And I mm-hmm. still enjoyed the movie. The way that they say it too is kind of, it's, it's very specific um, that like, you'll see a lot of based on true events. Uh, Cause like, or, like there's no way we knew what Sully was saying uh, to this passenger right before uh, he landed the plane or, or like on, in any of those tr- based on true story movies. But this one is, it says, this is a true story, which I've actually, uh, I think there, there are people out there who have like surmised that that means like, Oh, it's a story in the true sense of the word. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I do like what you're saying, how like every story in some sense is true, because if you think it and you say it out into the world, that is real in some sense. And I definitely Mm -hmm. get the feeling that stories in general are as real as you make them. You personally, everyone has their own relationship with a story. And I think that's really beautiful part of Mm -hmm. storytelling. But I also think the fact that they boldly claim this is a true story right at the beginning is incredibly misleading and doesn't make a whole lot of sense Mm. (laughs) but you know that's just my personal opinion obviously you had a different relationship with it than i did (laughs) okay can we talk about the plan the plan to kidnap the wife (laughs) so this is so this plan that the husband comes up to which who is like deeply in debt for reasons we never know Mm -hmm. we never figure out we never know why he's in debt so he has devised a plan for his wife to be kidnapped so that his father-in-law can pay a huge ransom, which he will then keep half of and give the other half to the kidnappers. Mm-hmm. It's weird that I have to point out what a terrible plan this is. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's, they're, they're yeah. a bunch of dumbasses. They, they, like, they just don't know any better. Jerry Lundergaard is the like it's he's a he's the slimiest person just like a snake in the grass he is he's like <laughs> this and this was clearly his plan because it's so goddamn it's, it's bad convoluted <laughs> and it oh, yeah. like mm-hmm. it just it doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. and I, I actually also, he's a terrible father he has a <laughs> child oh yeah Steve <laughs> and 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 a terrible salesman too. <laughs> God, he's oh, that, such a car salesman. That true oh. coat scene where he's giving it to the couple is apparently like an exact uh, situation that Ethan Cohen went through at one point. Which means like he bought the car. Words. Yeah, he bought the car. He bought the true coat. <laughs> well, you know, you know that it's because he already traded his old car in and he has mm-hmm. nowhere to go. That's mm-hmm. how they get you. That's mm-hmm. how they freaking get you. Oh, well, actually, one thing I did would did notice in this uh, watch through that I hadn't noticed before, the serial numbers thing. I think that might be why he was in so much debt. I think he was selling cars that didn't exist. I thought about that. I think he was selling cars that didn't exist, but I don't think he was selling them. I think he was putting them up as collateral for a loan. He was collateralizing them. Which means that he already got the loan, but 
what did he need the loan for? Wasn't it for the parking lot? Or was that also no, like No, no, that? no, because he was asking his father-in-law for the parking mm-hmm. lot money. Even in like crime procedurals, they tell you this. If you're just watching like an actual true story on mm-hmm. Investigation Discovery Network, like they still tell you this is why this mm-hmm. they needed to stage a kidnapping of their wife, which eventually led to the murder of her, the murder of the kidnapper, the murder of uh, her father and lo- her father, you know, the murder of three innocent civilians. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. this is why, because this guy... I think that's kind of uh, a big part of the movie is that the why doesn't really matter as much. It like, matters to me! <laughs> with the with the movie, the thing's just happening. Um, like, it's, especially at the end, like, Marge just is just driving and then happens to look over to the outside of her car and see the Sierra that she's been looking for this entire time. Right, but she was looking for that car. She was she was looking for it, but I didn't think she was. She thought she was going to find it right there. There was that scene with the with the guy who was shoveling his snow, who said that there was somebody up in the woods, and they like had maybe a basic tip because Steve Buscemi was like, "I need to get laid because bragging about killing someone." (laughs) Steve Buscemi just being like, "Yeah, I killed somebody." (laughs) Every single one of them, just Mm -hmm. dumbasses, just dumb guys. we have made some excellent observations today. Um, are, I mean, have we? <laughs> is there anything else we desperately need to talk about before we wrap up here? I really did like how they kind of made like this just cold landscape kind of a character in of itself. It was in Minnesota. Uh, it was the second warmest winter in Minnesota in over a hundred years at that point. Um, like the year before and the year after, they were planning on like having five feet of snow, but they had to use fakeness snow in a lot of uh, shots because they just there wasn't the snow when they the year they filmed. Also, wow. did you guys hear that that Paul Bunyan statue is hidden somewhere in Wisconsin that people just every so often happen upon? <laughs> I, really? I I had to look back into Paul Bunyan because we we were taught about Paul Bunyan in my like in school and I was like there's got to be some sort of significance Story. here <laughs> significance um, about Paul Bunyan I was like well, I was I was like curious I was like I... now that you brought it up like I I too remember hearing that name in school I have no idea what he's famous mm-hmm. for Paul Bunyan is a uh, like a folktale hero um, he's not real. He's the guy who made the land, the 10,000 lakes, because him and the babe, the blue ox, were like carrying water and they were making a bunch of steps and like they spilled the water all over the place. And that's how they created the Great Lakes. That babe was tripping. He's basically the Mississippi hero. And um, there's a lot of different claims as to where he was born because he's not real because he was essentially he was supposed to supposedly like 20 feet tall or something like he's like a giant. It is. It's bizarre. It's very bizarre. Uh, but basically, he was done in by technology. Uh, is the big is the big really? story that the folk hero is killed by technology? That's hilarious. Yeah, I but I I thought one thing I did get. So all folk heroes are big, strong men, and this hero is a is a is a smaller pregnant woman, and I loved that. I was like, oh, that maybe I that's like that part too. of it. There's so much in this movie about interpretation. A lot of this movie just vibes with me, and I like it a lot. All right. With that, we're going to get into final thoughts. Final thoughts of the movie, and would you recommend watching it? Uh, Cullen, our wonderful guest, would you like to go first? Uh, yeah. Uh, final thoughts. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, I always have. 
I love the Minnesotan jokes. Um, it perfectly captures that Minnesota nice cynicism. Uh, and yes, I would absolutely recommend it. Yeah, I like this movie. It's a fun <laughs> movie. I enjoyed it. It's got really nice dry humor, which is a good style of humor. Yeah, I think you should watch it. Yeah, I mean, ditto. I mean, like, it's it's a fun movie. I... I was surprised by how engaged I found myself getting with the film. There were at least two moments where my jaw just completely dropped with what what happens, um, and you really can't tell where where, where things are gonna go. Like, it, it, there's just so many twists and turns. A, a lot of the the characters are dumbasses, but that's part of the fun of this movie is just watching them make stupid choice after stupid choice and just walking it watching it snowball into just one glorious gory disaster all right well that marks the conclusion of us talking about the movie we are going to get into plugs cullen anything you want to plug and something from pop culture that you'd like to plug I do have something I'm working on that I'd like to plug. And Brittany, you are going to be on it very soon. Yeah. Uh, Corn Quest, a D&D podcast, and our uh, our second episode. I just finished editing it. It probably will already be released by the time this is out. So uh, go and check us out. Find our Halloween special featuring Brittany as an old man who's about to get murdered. Uh, yeah. Spoilers. Not gonna get murdered, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. If you if you like D anD D or you just like long form improv, um, Corn Quest is definitely the place to go. We love we're we're a bunch of funny people, and um, I think yeah, I think people are gonna like us. Uh, I, my favorite movie of all time is called uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. Uh, it's in mm, indie movie. Yeah, Aubrey yeah. Plaza, uh, Mark Duplass, Jake Johnson, Jake Johnson. Yeah, Jake Johnson in that. Um, really, really great film. Uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Brittany Blue Eyed. Um, I would also like to plug Corn Quest. It's great. Definitely check it out. Um, and something that I would like to recommend from pop culture is I just watched uh, Trial of Chicago 7 on Netflix. Mm. It's great uh, in terms of historical accuracy, in terms of some other Aaron Sorkin movies. Um, it's actually pretty <laughs> pr- It's actually pretty pretty accurate, and I respect it for that. And it's a good movie. It's a good time if you're a history nerd like me. So definitely check that out. The main thing that I, I'd want to recommend right now from pop culture, um, so a chance that, that you know folks listening may have already heard this, but Demi Lovato put out a song recently called Commander-in-Chief where she just takes shot after shot at President Trump. <laughs> and I'm here for it, you know? I like it's it's a well-produced song and it's it's kind of like a diss track basically, but it's like disguised as a pop song. So I I, I fully recommend giving it a listen if you have not yet already. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a good song, good song. Oh, real quick, can I just plug Corn Quest's uh, Instagram? Because uh, I forgot yeah, to do absolutely. that. Uh, yeah, we're on Instagram at Corn Quest Podcast. Uh, Corn Quest Podcast. Andrew, uh, please take us out with your <laughs> dope ass rhyme. I've never said the word dope ass in my life. I just like it. It's not a good look oh on me, God. I feel. Okay. Oh gosh, right. my my cat just got into her cat tower for the first time ever. Hey! Oh, and we got, it on, we got we it, it on the podcast. We got it on the podcast. She just like Weird. poked her head out. And it was like just her eyes looking at me, and then just. <laughs> Wait, what's your cat's name? Uh, her name is Nilla. Uh, she was a foster that we got, and then uh, my girlfriend adopted her because uh, she fell in love with her. Well, but, Nilla, yeah. Nilla, we we hope you like your new 
your new little castle. So. Yeah. Oh, are you incorporating this into your rhyme, Andrew? Oh, no, no. No, I'm not. Oh. <laughs> oh damn, dude. I, I, oh, that's I, I, so cool. Sorry. I'm not a freestyler. I, I can't I can't freestyle. <laughs> I have to like prep all my, my little thing, you know, my all my stuff ahead of time because uh I, I'm no uh Lemon Miranda, sadly. So No, you're mm-hmm. not. I can I can confirm. <laughs> Andrew is not Lin Manuel Miranda. The the only thing that him and I really have in common right now is we're both Hispanic. So that's 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 about it for, for now. Not even from like the same Latinx country. No, but we're we're all within the Hispanic. Uh, Hispanic no, I know. Label, I'm just pointing out you know? another difference. I, I okay. <laughs> to further illustrate that you are not Lin Manuel Miranda. Yes, but I, I would I would like to meet the man someday. You oh, know, me too, what, what, whatever whatever context that that occurs under. So okay, can you please end the show? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, thanks again to our our guest Cullen for coming on. Really, really loved having you on on the show to discuss uh, all things Fargo in Minnesota. Uh, mm-hmm. It was it was a blast having you on. Thanks again to everybody for tuning into this episode. If you want to hear our thoughts on films ranging from 2001 to Inception to Annie Hall, feel free to take uh, uh, listen to some of our previous episodes. We appreciate the support, guys. And until next time, if you're looking for a film where some of the characters are slow, turn on your screen and watch the film Fargo. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening, guys. (laughs) Bye. The Academy Arguments was created and produced by Brittany McHugh and Andrew Nino. It is edited by Brittany McHugh, and the artwork is by Olivia Jensen. If you like what you heard here today, then tell a friend, tell a couple of friends, tell your grandmother if you think that's something she'd be into. Or you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it really helps the show get noticed when you do. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or suggestions for a movie we should do for an upcoming episode, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Academy Arguments, on Twitter at ACAD Arguments, or at our email, academyarguments at gmail.com. Cornquest Podcast. Um, Can you do it slower? <laughs> no. <laughs> quest. I, I think you need um, to say it slower. <laughs> Corn. Okay. Quest. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh! I'll just put this at the end on a thirty-minute loop. Just use. <laughs> <laughs>